0: The text for this morning is Psalm 139, the whole psalm as we read it previously. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ. On June 2013, Edward Snowden fled America after disclosing to several media outlets thousands of classified documents that he had acquired. The documents that Snowden leaked showed to the world that the government of the United States was running numerous global surveillance programs, many of them spearheaded by the NSA. He also showed that they were working in cooperation with various governments abroad. His documents revealed that not only was America spying on foreign citizens and governments, but it was also spying on its own citizens. The all-seeing eye of the American government had been monitoring the many, many individual phone calls and other communications, just waiting for someone to slip up so that they could be arrested and jailed. The outrage that the world responded with was reflected in thousands of infuriated headlines across the globe. People felt that their privacy had been violated and that their dignity had been taken away. No one likes to have their deepest, darkest secrets brought to light. And the idea of absolute strangers having access to that kind of information was a terrifying thought. But what if I told you that there was someone else who watched you? One who knows not just your online footprint, but your whole life. What if I told you that this someone had access to your most private thoughts? And what if I told you that rather than being frightened, you could take great comfort in this, that this can be a great source of joy for you? Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I bring you the word of God as summarized under the following theme and points. The God of David who intimately knows us, holds us in his hand. We'll see, first of all, in this psalm, the care of God, and secondly, the response of the psalmist. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Reflect on these words for a moment. You have searched me and known me. These words are a summary of the psalm. They open the psalm and they close it. But what do they mean? There are many ways in which we say we know someone. If someone mentions a name and we respond, oh, I know him, often we mean we could pick him out of a crowd or we could play Dutch bingo and connect him to a particular family. Occasionally, we mean more. We know someone on a more personal level, their likes and dislikes, perhaps even their beliefs. Sometimes we know someone intimately, their fears, their hopes, and their dreams. But none of this, says the psalmist, compares to the knowledge that God has of us. Our God knows not only what all that our most intimate friend knows of us, but he is acquainted with all our ways. He knows how we tick. He knows why we do the things we do. This can be a scary thing. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We know what can bubble up in our own hearts and what can flit across our imaginations, even be it ever so briefly. Jeremiah 17, verse 10 continues, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Psalm says, If we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Everything is laid bare before God to hold us accountable. If you are committed to sin and won't repent, this is a scary thought. But the Holy Spirit is not meant to be frightening to those who love the Lord. Rather, he is there to help them. That is one of his special roles. As we read in John 14, he is intimately involved with us because he cares for us. And in Romans, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. God doesn't know us in a scary way, but in a loving way. This realization allows David to celebrate God's intimate involvement with his life as a hugely comforting thing. David's God, our God, puts a hedge around his beloved to protect them because he loves them. He knows us so well that he knows what we will say before a word is on our tongues. He knows our needs before we can express them. He surrounds us with his presence behind and before and lays his hand on his children to guide us. Restrain us when we are tempted to do foolish things and to draw us back to himself if we stray too far. Isn't this a beautiful thing? But it goes even deeper than this. As we read in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. The word covered here implies the expert weaving together of a skillful craftsman. From the beginning of our existence on earth, God is already at work. Kids, some of you may have seen your mother pregnant. You've seen her belly grow. Every day, every week, every month, the baby grows bigger. God is at work in her. Shaping and forming that baby, just like he shaped and formed you. Just like that baby, you are the work of God's hands. Like David, we all need to understand that we are God's creative workmanship. From the beginning of our lives to the end, God knows how our days will unfold, having written them in his book before one of them came to be. What's your response to the facts that God knows every day of our lives? One response can be found in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. There are those who will not put this kind of trust in God. They instead try to flee from God and reject him. But David gives us a bit of an idea of the futility of such a choice. Let's take a look at verses 7 to 12. We read, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me, indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. No matter how high or how low we go, God is there. David expresses this in vivid language for the people of Israel. In Israel, to the east, you have the more rugged terrain where the sun rises. And in the west, you have the Mediterranean Sea stretching as far as the eye can see. If we rise in the east and travel with the speed of light to the west, as far, sh- as, far as the light reaches, we cannot escape him. And even if we are in distress and hide in the darkest corner where no one else find us, trying to escape from prying eyes. Our God is there beside us. God doesn't tell us this to frighten us. He doesn't want to pound us into submission. Yes, this is terrifying for those who are in rebellion to God. No matter where they run and hide, they will not escape him. But David is writing as a child of God. The Holy Spirit inspired this passage to give us great comfort the comfort we can receive is like that of a little girl who hides in a dark corner during a fierce storm terrified by the brilliant flashes of lightning and the roaring of the thunder but no corner can hide her from the love of her father it makes no difference if the light if the power is out and the lights are off The darkness of the house is as little of a barrier as if it was light to him because he knows it so well. He, intimately familiar with her hiding place and with her fear of the storm, will seek her out, draw her into his arms, and comfort her. In the same way, God, intimately familiar with all the fears and hiding places of his children, seeks us out, even if we distance ourselves so much that no one else can reach us. We read in verse 10, even there your hand shall reach me, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. But what if we don't feel this closeness? When we've cut ourselves off from everyone, we can feel incredibly lonely. Sometimes, even when things are going well, we can feel like there's a great distance between us and God. And sometimes we can feel like He isn't even there at all. Then we look around us and, as one man said, we tend to compare our insides with other people's outsides. And our situation can look pretty grim. When God feels distant, first consider Has God moved, or have I moved? Sometimes, not always, but sometimes this is the case. Have we distanced ourselves from God by withdrawing through a spotty devotional life? Seeking God involves both Bible reading and prayer. But sometimes we don't know why God has withdrawn the feeling of his presence In these moments, we must realize that feelings are not the only or even the primary evidence of God in our lives. That sometimes God uses these feelings of absence to shape us and make us grow. God didn't say in Matthew 7, you will know them by their feelings, but you will know them by their fruits. While we may not feel God's presence, we can look to the fruit that the gospel is bearing in our lives And know that he is there with us. Whatever your situation, brothers and sisters, know this. God has only ever forsaken one of his children. I'll say that again. God has only ever forsaken one of his children. Who? Jesus Christ. In that terrible moment on the cross, God turned his face away from his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might never be forsaken. What a glorious reality this is for us. It is true, we don't always feel God's closeness. It's true that sometimes our lives feel empty, but trust that God will keep to his promises. God has truly abandoned Christ in order that his children might never need to be abandoned or face his wrath. As he himself said, I will never leave you or forsake you, Hebrews 13. This God who formed mighty mountains, the raging rivers, and the awesome galaxies is the one who wove us together in the womb. He cares for each child of his because through Jesus Christ we were adopted as his children. So in all your life, in good times or in bad, in times when you can really feel his closeness, and in times when he feels far away, never stop seeking him. But we also know him in a much richer way. This Christ, our Lord, who ascended to heaven and has been exalted at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ rules over us as our eternal head, through whom the Father governs all things. Isn't that a comforting thought? Having one who, although he is true God, is also true man and understands us? He is the one who said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is the one who sends his spirit into our hearts to help us. And at the end of the day, it is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who holds all of history in his hand, the one who sympathizes with us in his weaknesses because he's been there. It's him who holds us in his hand. What a glorious thing. How we should praise him for this immeasurable comfort. This leads us into our second point, the response of the psalmist. Seeing God's promises laid out for us, how should we react? In verses 17 to 18, David gives us a beautiful example. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. He sings praise to God and then demonstrates taking a childlike comfort and assurance in God's presence. Why is this such a comforting notion for David? We don't know at what point in David's life this psalm was written. But we do know that throughout his life he had a very close sense of the presence of God. When he first faced the Philistine Goliath, he did this with the knowledge that the God of Israel was with him. When he was fleeing from Saul, he did not kill the Lord's anointed, but he trusted that God, who had all of his days written in his book before one of them came to be, who had a plan for his ascension to the kingship, that this God was the one who watched out for him. He trusted the Lord to help him through that dark time. When he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the thought of being cut off from the presence of God and having God's Holy Spirit withdrawn from him terrified him. We can read that about that at length in Psalm fifty-one. And what more can we say? When he fought with the Amalekites, fought with Ishbosheth, lost his son Amnon, fled from his son Absalom, dealt with the rebellion of Sheba. In all these moments, the knowledge of the presence of God in these times and the knowledge of God's intimate knowledge of him would have been an incredible comfort to him. And David puts voice to his wonder. In verse 5, he marvels at God's protection. He uses language similar to that of Job. Think of Job, how Satan says to God regarding him, have you not made a hedge around him? around his household and around all that he has on every side. The same sense of protection, this sense of being hedged in is what God has granted him despite the fact that his life is so uncertain. In verse 10, he praises God for the fact that no matter where he is, God will lead him and hold him. In verses 14 to 16, he expresses deep satisfaction in the fact that God has been intimately involved with him since before he was born, and confidence for God's plans already planned out for him in the future. As a central theme in his response of praise, David draws out the concepts of thoughts in particular. He draws a very strong contrast between God's thoughts and his own. He understands his own limitations. His thoughts dwell on anxieties and imperfections, verses 23 and 24. His thoughts are easily understood by God, and even before they are expressed in words, God knows them. His complete trust in God's plans for him, despite not knowing what the future holds, is firmly based on God's goodness and his knowledge of how much greater God's thoughts are than his own. It's similar to the pronouncement we find in Isaiah, where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts includes knowing each of our thoughts and more. For David, he can't comprehend the vastness of it. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Simply too wonderful. Is it wonderful for you? God says to his people in Jeremiah a statement that we can put our trust in as well. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is a statement that while applied to the people uh, who are out in exile, can also be applied to us today in a similar way because we find a similar sentiment in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Even when things seem not to be going well or our future seems uncertain, we can rest assured that whatever may come God has all of his days, all of our days planned out for us in his book. Is this wonderful to you? All of his thoughts, everything he sends our way is meant for our growth and our good. And that is why God's thoughts are precious to David. That is why they should be precious to us as well. And when God's thoughts become truly precious to us, when our God becomes truly precious to us, then we will respond with fierce loyalty brought on by love. This is how the psalmist responds as well. In verses 19 to 22 of our passages, he calls on God to slay the wicked and make them depart from him. David feels completely secure in God's love. He knows the Lord is good despite the many trials he faces. When people see bad things happen in the world or in their lives, they often say, I don't think the Lord is good because a good God wouldn't let bad things happen. David says, That's slander. That's not who the Lord is. That's not what he does. God is good. And even in the worst things that happen, even in the worst things that happen, he has a plan. David experienced it all, the loss of a child, the fact that friends turned against him, the fact that family turned against him, the fact that the people that he was supposed to care for, that these people turned against him. He experienced it all, and yet he knows that the Lord had a plan throughout it all. This is not to say that David sees himself as morally superior to such people who stand against God. He knows he is a sinful man. That much is clear from passages like Psalm 19 where he says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Rather, in his zeal for the Lord, he counts those who have deliberately set themselves up as enemies of the Lord, as enemies of himself. He wants nothing to do with those who take the Lord's name in vain, who attribute evil to the God, who seek after blood and who hate him. And so David turns them over to God's just judgment and calls on God to show that he is not among them, ultimately out of concern for the Lord's honor. Through this statement, David professes unswerving loyalty to the cause of God. He is not free from sin but he is devoted to godliness. Finally, in contrast to these men, David publicly calls on God to search him. He knows God knows everything about him, and he's already said as much in verse 1. With these words, however, he is proving to those around him that he truly wants to serve God and that he's willing to bear his whole life before him. He lays out his anxieties before the Lord, and he asks God to see if there's any wicked way in him, to work in him if this is the case, praying that God will then correct him and lead him in a way everlasting. Any possible remnant of sin, whether David is aware of it or not, must be pulled out by the roots. And he realizes that his all-seeing, all-powerful God is the only one who can accomplish this. Brothers and sisters, in words we grant that God is all-seeing and all-knowing and present everywhere, but do you accept this? Do you believe this in your heart? I once read a saying, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. It might be better, put: the true test of a man's character is what he does when only God is watching. When we watch TV shows, when we play soccer, when we interact with our kids, our parents, our wives, our girlfriends, our boyfriends, do we acknowledge that God is right there seeing what we see and hearing what we say? Do we truly believe that God is right beside us as he says he is? Do we act that way? But also think of this in a positive way when we are lonely and depressed, or even when we are happy and content? Do we recognize and take comfort and joy in the fact that our God is with us? He is our fortress. He hems us in behind and before, and he lays his hand upon us. No matter where we are, his hand shall lead us. His right hand shall hold us fast. Our faithful God seeks those who are weak and weary, Despite our shortcomings, we can come to him in faith and without fear. Why without fear? Why can we profess the same things that David does and not cower before the Lord, terrified of what he might find in the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts? Brothers and sisters, God is not like some big brother government surveillance program. He is not watching every move of his people just waiting for them to trip up so that he can charge them. We are his children and he loves us. Brothers and sisters, we're rich. God's presence and God's constant care means we're the richest people in the world. Nothing can match us and our Father wants us not to live in fear but to flourish and to grow. To marvel at the riches that were granted in Christ, regardless of our situation. We read in Romans, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely grant us all things? God won't condemn us. Jesus Christ bore that condemnation for us. Instead, by the Holy Spirit, working through His Word, He will guide us through every difficulty. In Christ, trust that God will grant his grace and the Holy Spirit to you if you ask him for them. It may not come in the time you expect. It may not come in the manner that you desire. But he is there for his children. And he will lead them in the way that is pleasing to him. In the way everlasting. Amen.